Welcome back to episode 2, season 2, a.k.a. episode 23 of Founding the Table. Shout out to Michael Jordan, and for everyone who wanted to grow up being like Mike, after this last week, I personally want to be like Tony. And now, I've joined Tony in cracking open a Celsius for this episode, because we're going to go full 4D on this episode. We're going to be talking about the 2021 space race. We're going to have a special guest, our good friend DJ's joining us to Elevate all of your knowledge around SPACs, and of course, a little bit further, we're going to get into units and warrants, so that's what we're talking about with the 4D, right? We also have to mention our Twitter darling this week, CCIV. Everyone was thinking this is lucid, so we'll touch on that. And last week, we did a buddy of mine a favor and did a pseudo-advertisement for one of my friends, the CBD KM Relief brand. Since that, we've got a few DMs asking for advertisements, so if you guys are ever interested, shoot us a DM, and of course, we got to like it, right, Tony? Absolutely, Avi. Let's open up the faucet a little bit here. So if you have a company that you want us to do an advertisement or sponsorship for, shoot us a DM, but you know, of course, we're going to have to like the product. We're going to have to know that Pound Nation and ourselves personally will be using that product and benefiting from it, so... Keep that in mind when approaching. But regardless, if you just want to talk, we're always happy to chat. For those of you who are new, Pounding the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and Anthony Ohayan, yours truly, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading, which we will actually be answering some questions about here today. And each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted. Quick disclaimer here, gotta say it, everybody knows the rules. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account, are not should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitations. So with that being said, Avi, what we got for us this week? Yeah, you got me uh, locked in on NFL Division Playoff Weekend. So you know that uh, I must love pounding the table to get away from the TV. I'm here with Pastrami and Locks this morning. So Avi Locks is going to come out of the woodworks later with his lock of the week from the NFL. But this is a stock podcast, so that's what we'll do, Tony. How did we do last week? I just mentioned I want to be like Tony, so I'm assuming we did well, huh? Yeah, Avi, we did really well last week, actually, since the beginning of the year, in fact. And, of course, in 2020. Marlon Pieris is actually doing this cool contest where he's taking all the names that we talked about in 2020 and kind of tracking it over 2021. So the names that we're still pounding in the year. And on average, those are up 12.5% together. So that's not bad for the first two weeks, especially when I don't think the S&P 500 is even 1% positive. So doing pretty well there. And we got a nice little kicker in there with all those SPACs that are starting to heat up. You never know. It's going to be like popping popcorn. One's going to go and another's going to go. It's going to be a lot of fun. But to highlight some big bangers of the week, of course, we said this last week, our boy DJ, who we're bringing on later, went through some deep Reddit threads, found NGA was going to be talked about on Kramer on one day. And of course, that ripped it up really, really high. So that was up 47% on the whole week there. Another one we just pounded last week, Tiger. So that's pretty much like a mini Futu, ticker symbol T-I-G-R. That was up 30%. And, you know, one of my favorite names now, just because of the Avi indicator, I'll call it, is B-N-G-O, because Bingo was his name oh, and that one's up 22%. And of course, you know, we can't talk about having a stock go high without the MSOS weed cannabis ETF, which was up 11% last week. And last but not least, something that I really just wanted to call out, everyone was hating on China stocks, ADR, ADS, as 
I'm hating on those people now because Baba was up 6% last week. I think it clo- actually closed a little higher. And that looks like it's ready to go because what happened is when Baidu decided to go into that EV space, which we know is the hottest thing since sliced bread right now, that thing exploded, almost doubled. And Baba is just going to be doing that spade as a spade, same ripper. I think it's going to 300. So a lot of things to look forward to. And we haven't even touched on the reason is a 4D episode because we're going to space, baby. That's right, Tony. And the obvious indicator is something I, I joked around with just saying ticker symbols have a huge emotional attachment. I know I was 95% joking, but I do think there is a little ounce of fun that people have, whether they believe it or not, like the B-I-N-G-O, bingo was his name Oh, That's just fun to say. And same with skills. That's just a fun ticker symbol to say. So uh, I don't know if there's any credence to that, actually, but I just think it's it's kind of funny when you have an amazing ticker symbol. Obviously, these guys are smarter than we think, right? But we are the pod of the people, Tony, and, and it's becoming very apparent that, you know, the podcast once a week is great, but obviously just based off the nature of the markets, it's not enough because there's things that happen day by day in the middle of the week that we cannot connect with our pounders about, right? And so obviously we are launching this newsletter. We're going to start thinking of other ways to kind of interact, you know, throughout the week with Pound Nation. But, you know, one thing that we're going to hold ourselves accountable to, because I know we kept pushing this off and pushing this off, we're going on record saying no later than Friday, you will have that newsletter on your hands. And it may be before, but we're Put in the stop limit on Friday right there. And, I like that, Avi. Yeah. A little trading term you threw in there, stop limit. I mean, this thing's 30-plus pages. I have no idea, like, if I'm going to add some more stuff. Like, it's a pounding-the-table Bible. It's worth the wait. So just get ready for it before Friday at the latest. Exactly. And, and if you guys were on FinTwit at all this week, there was no secret. CCIV was an absolute banger of a rumor going with Lucid. Tony, I know you're out there making big moves, like our pounding-the-table <laughs> song, of course. But... We know you have the peak life fund, but you were telling me a little bit that you play around with some of your personal accounts, trying out new strategies. I was joking with you. You're kind of like the Houston Rockets D-League practicing the three-pointers before they brought the three-pointers to their quote-unquote fund with the actual Rockets team. But explain to me what you're doing here with CCIV. So RIP to Juice World, but... It does sound like you're going to be joining him with these lucid dreams. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely use my personal account as kind of like a experimental laboratory. Like think of like Dexter's lab. Like I'm just in there six stories down taking a random elevator that's got no actual shafts. But I'm going to be like downstairs with like 400 computers around. But it's pretty much just on my phone because I can't open two applications at once on my computer for trading. But I pretty much try all these different strategies. Like I've done everything from penny stocks to crazy options to, I mean, leap spreads, everything covered calls, whatever I've done, I do it in that account. But sometimes I take a really big trade. Like I go all in in that account because I got like, you know, like most of my like actual cash is like tied up in the actual fund because like I, I put my money where my mouth is. I invest with my investments. But then I like to just practice stuff on the side. And one thing I don't like is that I missed out a lot of the Tesla rally because of how many shares I sold to actually buy my car. So I actually went all in lucid in my personal account between 12 and 15. And when the when the options opened up, it was about 15. So I loaded a bunch of the 12.5, 15 calls. I got a ton of warrants. So this is what I like to do. I like to like just, if this is the real thing, which we're going to talk about now in a second, like then it's going to be an absolute banger of a company. Like, I think that this is the only one that I can see now as an EV stock. Like, yeah, Neo's killing it. Neo's doing great. Neo already ran for me. And like, I don't, I've already missed Neo. I had it at four and I sold it at six. So not going to get back in at 50 or 60. But if CCIV is lucid, then I will be having those lucid dreams, Avi, because I actually have like 
90% of my personal account in Lucid just because I'm testing out to see like how I can compound SPAC. So I loaded a ton on 12 at that rumor. And I'm trying to see like an interesting strategy because of course these SPACs from 10 to 12 are very, very safe in comparison to any other thing because they have a floor of $10 plus that interest. So I'm trying to see how many times I can actually pick the right SPAC and compound that and just go bigger and bigger size each time. Obviously the key to the strategy that I'm trying out is to do 10 to 12. And like, I've been doing more and more of that actually in the fund now. So I'm taking that process that I'm working on, that strategy I'm learning and actually applying it to more and more capital. But once again, you want to see it work. So I first tried out warrants, which we were going to be talking about with our guest DJ later in my personal account before I brought it into the fund, just because I like to protect, you know, the main assets that I'm working with much, much better. Interesting strategy, to say the least, going all in on CCIV with the hope, right? Uh, it's not 100% official yet, but you get by the rumors, you sell the news, you full on bought the rumor here with CCIV. So yeah, why do you like it so much? I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, I think there's there's a couple of times in your life where there's those companies that are the biggest beasts, right? Like you can miss Google, but you can get in on TTD, right? You can miss Amazon, but you can get in on Shopee and Mercado Libre. You can miss Tesla or be only half in Tesla and make up the other half with the next Tesla. So I'm going to read this thread. So shout out to at James Hanson 87 on Twitter. Fantastic thread, really intuitive and easy. So I just wanted to share it with you guys here. So management team, of course, with CCIV, huge check like pound the table check. Like, I don't know who can get a better team for this kind of thing, especially for it to be lucid. So you've got John Ivey, chief design officer at Apple for 20 years. You've got Andrew Leverus, former CEO of the Dow Chemical Company and dun, dun, dun on the board of Lucid Motors, duh. Malali, former CEO of Ford. And of course, Bloomberg said it's in talks, but there's no definitive agreement announced. And of course, we can't pound the absolute table on it until that definitive agreement is announced because a lot of rumors, right? Everyone's got an opinion. Even if it's not lucid, I think it'll be something great because that team is stacked up. Maybe it's Rivion, who knows? You know, I think it's going to be something that I'm going to make money off of. Hence why I went in a ton at 12. And again, I added, I doubled down at 15, right? Like usually people sell when it goes higher. I like to add when it goes higher. But I mean, that's just depending on the different strategy and what the name is. Because if this is Lucid, I think it'll go way, way higher. They have a serious public investment fund from Saudi Arabia of a billion dollars. So that's going to be used to make the last R&D of Lucid Air and the commercial production of it and the retail strategy for that entire car. So what I like about this is that it really reminds me of the Tesla strategy. So they're working now on this $69,000, 517-mile range. Like, you know, star that, put that in your face because that's huge. Like right now, my Tesla sitting in my driveway only does 320 and I also paid like about 60 for it. So that's huge. That's almost double. And, 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 and it's a full charge in 20 minutes. And right now that's unheard of because the reason QuantumScape went to the freaking moon, like QuantumScape 4 deed itself, even though it's not going to make revenue until 2024 is because they say that battery can charge super, super fast. But if Lucid can do that, like, you know, whatever, I don't really need to look at QuantumScape ever again. Uh, and that was also a pound, of course, just, you know, had to double down there really quick, but I'm not in that anymore. I'm definitely waiting for CCIV. I like the risk reward here. And then they claim that their dream drive, right? That's their sensor built suit that has a 3D mapping of space all around the car, right? So it's pretty much like Tesla's autonomous uh, vehicle technology. So Lucid here is saying that they have a higher level of autonomy than Tesla. But I know what Musk thinks about the, like they use LiDAR and I know what Musk thinks about that, but let's see if it stacks up, right? Like, you know, who knows? They have a partnership with Amazon building Alexa into their cars. So just think about the crazy shit that can happen. So imagine you're just driving your car and you're on the radio and you hear a sick ad for sunglasses 
sunglasses. Eventually, you will be able to buy those sunglasses from your radio. Like that's gonna happen. I'm not. I'm telling you, like five years, ten years. I don't know. But that that that's all gonna be connected, right? That's why Apple wants to get into this because you're gonna be buying apps. You're gonna be buying music. You're gonna be watching movies. Like it's all gonna come together on your car, right? Your car is basically becoming a smart, movable home. And it's just like cooler and goes a lot faster. And I can drag a race with Avi around the corner. But in 2020, Lucid finished its factory in Arizona. So they're by no means years and years away. Like they're not four years away like QuantumScape is on this battery tech. They're saying that they'll produce 30,000 units in 2021. And they're aiming to do 400,000 units annually once this ramps up. So here's the thing. That sounds crazy similar to Tesla, right? They started out this super expensive car. They get the second car, the SUV. Then they're getting this like Model 3, like uh, Lucid Air, you know, comparison. This is that same approach, right? You get people hyped up with the first expensive car. Then you have the second, then you have the third. And it gets more and more affordable. And the, the really cool thing about this for me is that this is like a second chance at Tesla because Tesla is always going to be Tesla. But that doesn't mean that there's not enough slices of the pie, which I say every episode because it's the truth. It's a big market, any market you look at. So I'm pounding the table on this. You know, of course, I'll pound it for real, for real once the DA is announced. But regardless for me, like I'll take the shot because to say I got in on the second Tesla at 12 is well worth it. And one thing I found super interesting, I was asking you last night, because I know, you know, the reason I found you, you were 19 standing in front of the Tesla you just bought with the Tesla stock. You said this time around, I was like, are you going to exchange your Tesla for Lucid? And you said, hell yeah, but I'm not going to be using Lucid stock to buy this. I'm going to be keeping it this time. So you still pounding that? Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. Like I like to buy things that I invest in and I see the future of, and I can be a part of that change in the world, right? Like I didn't buy my Tesla to buy a Tesla and all that crap. Like I bought it because like I believe in the company and I wanted to be part of the movement. And I believed in it so much that it helped me make money to be able to do that. And if Lucid does that again, you know, two is better than one. So why not? We posted this uh, screenshot of your old, I think it was called After the Bell. So if you guys have not liked that tweet, I got him to agree. If we do a thousand likes on that tweet, I think we're like closing in on 600 right now. So we're getting close. But we want Tony to open back up his old blog where he made these insane predictions. One was about Tesla, obviously. And last night, Tony, you gave me a virtual pat on the back saying I said one of the smartest things ever. I didn't think it was that smart. So I had to kind of look myself in the mirror and wonder what I'm talking about most of the time here. But you were saying (laughs) the idea I was because I was looking at the spade is a spade concept. It's one of my favorite you know rules that you've ever said. And I was taking a look at like, not as where Tesla's at today, but what was their first car? And their first car was like six seconds to get to zero to 60. And so I was like, that is probably a better indicator since, you know, Lucid is releasing their first car. You shouldn't necessarily look at where Tesla's at today. You kind of want to compare their first cars and comparing those first cars, Lucid's light years ahead of where Tesla's first car was. We always talk about this advantage of first movers, but there is an advantage to second movers that I was discussing. I know when I was talking with Lyft back in the day, they were saying Uber had to go through and kind of destroy all of the political and they spent a ton of money on legal and and things like that. So, you know, I wonder if there's a similar situation here where they get the advantage of being a second mover where a lot of that R&D has been established for them. And now they can kind of build on top of that and create even a better version of of Tesla. Absolutely. I think people are looking at it the wrong way. They're like, man, Tesla is like went up so high in valuation. All of you were wrong for five or six years. That's the answer. None of you were right. Like there's like five people who were right and everyone else was short the hell out of it the whole time. You want to know why? Because the Tesla was making, Tesla was trading like two or three or four times price to sales for years. And then they're like, oh, 
this company makes money. Oh, wait, we're actually going to go and change the world and use renewable energy. Holy crap. What a mind boggling concept. Duh. Duh. Where you think we're going to be using fossil fuels, which are going to become gone by 2050 forever. You think in 2100, we're going to be riding around in Ford Raptors. What are you smoking something? That's not how the world's going to work. And Lucid Motors has that second to market advantage. Tesla's already proven that all these other, look at, look at what it did to the other car companies, Ford, GM, everyone, all these guys I said, we're going to be just screaming and begging to get in the market. All these morons who missed the first wave of this revolutionary, huge, huge, that affects almost everyone market are diving and throwing money in, begging to get in and get any market share. Tesla's out here crushing the game. But here's the thing. Second mover advantage is a real thing, right? Like you must have crushed Amazon, whatever. But then look at Mealy, look at Etsy. Like there are Etsy, there's 50 different companies that did a Tesla or an Amazon-like move. So why won't Lucid do it? And you don't understand like the exact comparisons I see here. You've got descending car prices to get everyone in the market, right? Like they, they, they got to skip the Roadster. They didn't have to make the super expensive limited edition Roadster because people were already hyped about it. The Roadster, dude, Elon Musk is a genius. He 4D the entire plan, right? So Lucid doesn't even have to. They can just chill in 3D and then just make 4D money. So that's the coolest part. And I don't even understand why people are saying, well, like, you know, they're just going to start making 30,000 units this year. The idea alone, Tesla's doing 500,000 units. If they do 30,000 units this year, it's going to be worth what? I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be worth a fifth as Tesla just because of the potential. Because this thing can do 517 mile battery. That's world changing. That's huge. And 20 minute charge. That's half the reason people are pissed off buying a Tesla. Like that is, those solve two of the problems. And you're going to tell me that like, it, it, oh, they're not making money. I heard that shit before. You're wrong. It's like the Android iPhone situation. I was the first one to have the rapid speed charger and I was talking shit to all the uh, iPhone owners. And then I get shit back every time I do a group chat and get the green text. People look at me like I'm the plague. Tony, I'm going to start calling you Tone Stradamus. You got all these incredible predictions. One of your best ones has been EH, which has been an absolute banger since you kind of introduced this to the FinTwit community a few weeks back, or I think it was months ago. Uh, in the eVTOL space, right? And so you're up over 400% since you originally bought EH. You got to be absolutely crazy to hold this at this point. I know those gains are literally out of this world. We're going to be talking about space, but you're going to still pound the table on EH up 400%? Yeah. So this is something I was just watching my portfolio last week. I kind of blew my own mind because I was like, man, like I, I only put like a percent or two in this thing. And now it's like a 7%, you know, it's 7 biggest position I have. And it's like kind of mind blowing to think, Hey man, like this thing went parabolic. It went four or five X. It went all the way up to 50. And I got in at eight flat, like went all the way up to 50 and I didn't trim a share. I actually was waiting for it to get back in the thirties because I think that there's going to be a huge move in the areas that people are just starting to look at now. Thanks to pounding the table. But like EH, for instance, like these Evitals, I got friends from college working with like companies at Uber. Like there are things that they're like people are doing this. Like Uber's working on Evitals, like Lyft's working on them. And like I know everyone's like they're, they're buying and selling these companies between each other, but people are trying to get in the air. And that you can see that by like EH doing those demos in South Korea. China's talking to them really lightly. They're like, we're probably gonna like pass your two vehicles. Like just imagine that you're first in the air first to move air taxis. Oh, and there's some cool thing we're going to talk about with air taxis in a second. But along with EH, I'm going to hold it. I think it could be an absolute banger, right? Like I take these moonshots for companies that I think can be the next Tesla, the next Mercado Libre, the next C Limited. This is when you don't want to sell, right? Because let's say, here's an example. You could have bought Mercado Libre at like 12. 
imagine trimming that at 40 because you felt, man, it went up too fast. Now it's almost at 2000. How dumb do you feel? That's how dumb I felt when I sold my Tesla shares at 300 to buy my car, like an idiot. Cause that, that was a, what, those are like 5,000 now. Like, why would I do that? Because if I believe in the company, nothing's changed. Yeah. People are valuing it, but I'm not looking to trim or sell out. I'm looking to buy more when it gets lower. I'm always watching for those names I love. And so now this thing used to be for me, a, a concept thing, but of course the CEO said, we're going to do 200% revenue this year. So don't even worry about the analyst estimates. I've never heard anything so cocky. And I pound the table when someone else pounds the table on themselves. And also another company we really like a lot. I know people got a little thrown off because they moved the dates of like those launches coming. Of course, COVID is affecting everything, but SRAC, so Stable Road Acquisition Corp, was supposed to be a cannabis company, but they're taking momentous public, which we pounded a long time ago. Shout out to my beautiful girlfriend. She's the one who gave that one to me, but that's up over 100%. And no, there's no deal yet. Like, it, I mean, it's definitive agreement, but it hasn't merged yet. And I'm still holding that one because, you know, Avi, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I'm pretty sure Kathy's got her eye on both of these. Yeah, Tony, you're kind of the lightning. So let me at least hold on to the thunder. You are correct. I, I do feel like Kathy will add. And before we jump into that, I just want to share a quick quote from the famous JFK. Here. That's right. Those who came before us made certain that this country rode the first wave of the industrial revolutions, the first wave of modern invention, the first wave of nuclear power, and this generation does not intend to founder in the backwash of the coming age of space. We mean to be part of it, we mean to lead it. For the eyes of the world now look into space, to the moon and the planets beyond. We have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest, but by the banner of freedom and peace. We have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction, but the instruments of knowledge and understanding. Yeah, I almost pissed myself <laughs> off. <laughs> we'll see how that works. Uh, but yeah, what we were saying here is Kathy is launching a space fund. So she actually had one. I don't think a lot of people were aware of uh, in Japan, but you know, I think the coolest thing since genomics is this art X, right? That Kathy Wood is, you know, she literally does not sleep on the future. So my biggest question is like, does Kathy invest in all these good companies or is she creating the actual space? If you think about genomics companies, they were not really commonplace on Wall Street, really, until Kathy built this mothership of ArcG, which, by the way, is up 180% in 2020 alone. So now she's creating this ArcX, right? And so we, of course, have the utmost respect for Kathy Wood. But as we were talking about last night, we were discussing your after-the-bell picks, where you called Tesla to $500 billion over the next 10 years in 2015, it's going to beat that. You were being very conservative there, of course. And not to put you too much on a pedestal, because I always hype you up, Tony, but you weirdly called like JCPenney bankruptcy, the EU breaking up, coming back to space, you called SPCE uh, at $12. So my biggest question, I guess, for you, are you Kathy Wood's son or avatar? <laughs> or are you Kathy Wood? <laughs> no, I, I, I honestly, if there's a four dimension out there, like she's probably like me 80 years in the future. Like I, who has any, I, I have no clue what's going on in this universe, but Kathy absolutely kills. It. And I, I love her mind. You know, like she's got the best mind in finance, in my opinion, because she sees shit before shit is there. Like she is seeing the future as it's happening. 
before it's even being talked about. And that is what you have to do as an investor. I think so many people read these stupid reports. They read these analysts saying Etsy is going to go 13%. And like, I, I talk about that all the time because it's just like, it shows you how wrong a lot of people can be. Like make your own opinions, do your own research because there's no difference between me and like the absolute best analyst in the world. There's no difference between you and the best analyst in the world. You we all got opinions. Just make your opinions better than theirs because a lot of people are wrong and Kathy's are not. Kathy does create markets because she's so pounding the table on stuff. She's pounding the table so hard. Ikea is over there just blowing up in every single state because she knows that genomics is the future. She knows that we're going to have to focus on health as well. That's a huge thing. She knew that we were going to go EV and renewables. Of course, like that's the, if you close your eyes and think, what do you think about like from now till 2050, what is the Jensen scenario for us from today to then? Like she's, she's literally flying around already in her head and she knows. So I believe that this ARCX is going to be huge, of course. And like, you've already seen that SpaceX valuation jump huge in 2020 when they did that reusable rocket test and everything, it went from 240 to over 340 in those private shares, like in a day or two. So people are bidding up that valuation because they know eventually like we're getting there. We're getting closer and closer every day into that new great frontier. And we're going to be all over that thing. Like we're going to be colonizing planets. We're going to go out of this Milky Way galaxy. Like that's all happening. It's just when. And so Kathy's like, I want this to happen. Musk is like, I want this to happen now. So Kathy's like, obviously the only logical next step, like we've got the health is wealth. We've got innovation on earth. We've got every other thing, 3D printing. Like she's got so many beautiful, beautiful funds of concepts that are just going to revolutionize the world for the next 10, 20 unlimited years. And now she's like, okay, well, no one's even in this space thing, right? We can only buy SPCE Max or we buy a few companies that really talk about space SpaceX is still private. Like she is creating the market. She's going to talk about companies. She's going to buy companies and make them known. She's going to do what she did with genomics and make this a mainstream thing. And obviously, as we always say, like the funding that goes into that will go to making that a way faster thing. Like it's not going to take 20, 30 years. It'll take five, 10, 15 now because there's five or 10 times the money in there backing it. So people believe it's right. Like if people believed in Tesla the way that they do now, 10 years ago, Tesla would be three or four times as big now because they didn't get that money until people believe, which was like only a year or two ago. But here's the cool thing about ArcX. I know there's a lot of confusion. Like maybe you can, maybe you can't buy SpaceX stock. I, I do know there's other ETFs that have those privately held SpaceX shares, at least in a small portion that you can buy on the market. So I'm sure there's a way to figure that out. Also, I'm pretty sure she's boys with Musk at this point. So if anyone's going to be able to like take any portion of that public, it'll probably be her. But who knows? I'm actually not sure about that at all. But regardless, like, I'm going to read to you guys what it said and the reason why I'm pounding the table on EH and SRAC. This is directly from those SEC filings of her uh, listing ARCX. So she said, Orbital aerospace companies are companies that launch, make, service, and operate platforms in the orbital space, including satellites and launch vehicles. Suborbital aerospace companies are companies that launch, make, service, or operate platforms in the suborbital space, including drones, EH, air taxis, EH, electric aviation vehicle, the next three pounds. Enabling technologies companies are companies that create the technologies required for successful value-add aerospace operations, <coughs> SRAC, including artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printing, <clears throat> DM, materials, and energy storage. Aerospace beneficiary companies are companies that stand to benefit from aerospace activities, including agriculture, <laughs> another pound as well coming, internet access, absolutely another pound coming in the next five minutes about that, global positioning systems, construction and imaging, fuck it, I'll just say Nanox, 
But pretty much the cool part about this is that I think that everything in this is stuff that we're pounding anyway, because we know that that's the future. That's where it's going. So Kathy sees that she's like, maybe, I'm not talking about 500 spacecrafts. Like it's not going to be like, it's not going to be like Space Force. It's going to be anything that has to do with space becoming a mainstream thing, because I'm telling you, we will be on Mars. We will be on other planets. We will be out of this solar system. I'm, if you don't think that, you have no concept of actually where we are in this universe. We are in the damn middle. There are aliens, I'll tell you right now. So we're going to go out and see all that cool stuff. And Kathy knows this. She's in 4D. We're going to see all that stuff. It's just how much money are you going to put behind it to make it happen as fast as it can? Tony, I uh, just saw your eyes blink the opposite direction. So for those of you wondering, Tony <laughs> is, in fact, a reptilian himself, which is why he knows so much about space. Uh, going with uh, the space-esque theme here. So it's not quite a spade as a spade, but like you we were talking about, it's not everyone is going to be going up to space. It's not all Apollo 13. There's a little bit of Jetsons going on here as well. So the next back I want to talk to you is actually uh, headquartered just a few blocks from me here in New York City. Uh, ticker symbols EXBC. They're going to be looking to acquire Blade. For those of you who are not familiar with Blade, it's actually a helicopter transportation platform for passengers who want to travel from place to place without spending thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, they do have a pass that allows this to be cheaper. But just like Uber, they are the digital platform. So they're managing the ticket sales, the branding, the customer service. But they're actually partnering with these other helicopter operators who will then operate the helicopters on their own. Uh, I have a ton of friends that use it to go to the Hamptons. They just launched this actually really cool feature. And if you don't want to sit in traffic going to JFK, you can just hop on there and they'll fly you to JFK to ultimately go where you want to go. Right now, if you think about traveling, obviously, it's very annoying. You go to the airport, you have to go through security, all of that mumble jumble, of course. But trying to avoid some of that annoyance, they actually have this network of lounges with couch Couches, snacks, drinks. So it's very much like having this Delta Sky Miles, the Sky Pass right there. You can start thinking about different revenue streams too. They'll have advertisements that can be combined within Blade, uh, even bringing them more money and brand advertising, of course. But you know, one thing I was thinking about is so they don't own these themselves. So it's kind of like, is it like Airbnb then, Tony? Yeah. So like they don't own the lounges, they don't own the helicopters. They're, they're pretty much just the connective platform. You can think of it like Airbnb or like Uber. So it makes their job a crap ton easier because it's so much less cash intensive right like if you owned a ton of like look at how bad american airlines got hit during this and look at how bad those airliners got hit that's because they own everything all that is cash cash intensive and this is just like uber of the sky if you think about it it's like airbnb of the sky so it's very cool airbnb of the ground because i like that lounge idea that sounds really fun so this is really cool because i think it's it's pretty much the fastest growing platform of its kind in u.s and india so because of this, Blade's got this very diverse fleet of aircraft, which I didn't know until I dug in deeper. And I started looking around like everything you could potentially get. It's like a bunch of helicopters, airplanes, like very different ones too. So they got everything from seaplanes to little Gulfstreamer jets. It's like kind of crazy when you really think about it. So this means that it's hard for us to list all those available aircrafts. But, you know, once we did dig deep, we saw that all these different ones were available. So, you know, different strokes for different folks. So it's really cool because... Sometimes you might need an Uber X or you might need an Uber XL or an Uber Lux or an Uber Copter, right? So this is like those choices for the sky. So I'm a big fan of that. And of course, I know everyone's thinking, hey, like, am I just going to jump on some random dude's copter and just fly around? Well, yeah, it's pretty safe, right? Because all the contracted operators are under this FAA oversight and they cancel flights when there's any bad weather possible or any turbulence possible. So I like that much more than flying in a Boeing Max plane. Um, and the company's actually... 
going to transition into Evitals over the next few years. So that's going to be amazing for them. So if you think about it, like they're, they're just the platform right now, Uber is using these gas crappy cars, but they're eventually going to be using when everyone has electric cars, that's what they're going to, that's the platform is going to be on electric autonomous cars, or they're going to be dead because Tesla's just going to do it better, but whatever, either way, that's the future. And right now I'm looking to see how well this one executes and becomes the platform that lets you take it to the skies. I'm a big fan of like that. I think that's obviously the future in some way, because you're going to have different levels of vehicle. Eventually, what if you're going to be able to use this to pilot space planes, right? We're out here thinking like five, 10 years in the future, because that's where you have to start looking because this stuff is going to happen so fast. You won't understand. And there's a huge reduction in travel time here. And that's really attractive because at the current cost, it's like really not crazy to think that this passenger growth is just going to keep accelerating right now. So they had 1,200 passengers 2014. Now it's 37.5 in 2019, 37.5 thousand. So that's up like 30x in five years. And obviously that's just getting exponential. Huge change, incredible growth. 81% estimated CAGR in that over the next six years. They've got new infrastructure plans in North America and Asia. I mean, this thing's banging to me. I love it. And I just love the space in general. I've been waiting for this day literally since watching Back to the Future, the Jetsons as a kid. And obviously there's a lot of excitement you mentioned with EH. Everyone knows that that's kind of already up and running. But just like Eddie Murphy, Evitals are coming to America, baby. So the FAA <laughs> uh, approved the first fully automated commercial drone flights with a company called American Robotics. They just granted permission to operate drones without hands-on piloting. There's another company called Lilium Jet. That's the first all-electronic jet-powered five-seater air taxi. Those won't be around until 2025, but definitely check those out on YouTube. Those really, really cool to see. Uh, and then the big news you know, recently, Uber Elevate was a play. However, they just sold this off to a company called Joby Aviation. So you saw this acquire of a lot of the Uber's executives moving over to Joby Aviation. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some partnership later on there, just given the nature of, of the uh, nepotism at play there. But they've already established that these things are going to be able to go 150 miles, have a top speed of 200 miles per hour. So very exciting space, to say the least. We did have a speculative spec play of the week here that James Williamson did DM us. The ticker symbol is ZNTE. They're looking into is something in aerospace and defense, urban mobility, emerging technology, and aviation. So here's exactly what James said. And then, Tony, I'm going to ask you what your thoughts are. James said, if ZNTE merges with an American or European company, then maybe the market will have an even bigger appetite for it compared to the Chinese-Korean EH. Personally, he invests in ADRs plenty, but he realizes that investors may prefer U.S. companies. So here's another idea he's saying, that ZNTE is a SPAC targeting a company, perhaps in the Evitol space. So rumors or examples of target could potentially be Joby or Lilium. He's calling this a spade is a spade comparison to EH, which is proving the market has an appetite for Evitol. There is a lot of promising startups in the field, but it seems that EH is the only one public so far in the market. With ZNTE's leadership, the board looks solid, well-placed, and bring a serious Evitol player to the public. They said that ZNTE might even have that advantage over EH. So, Tony, that's that's your baby, EH. So, what yeah. are your thoughts overall? Do you think that this is what they're looking at, and do you think it could compete with EH? Yeah, so I don't think anything's going to compete with EH for a little while here. I think that if it is, but you know, he said that they might get a higher valuation in the U.S. market. That's probably likely, but that's because EH is showing you it's possible. 
So I think EH is going to benefit regardless, right? Like you got a lot laxer regulations and like, you know, strict regulations to get through in China. So I'm much less worried about EH being able to actually continue to sell drones and deploy them. And like, dude, I'm telling you, like I've talked about this five times, the Toyota's futuristic 150, whatever billion dollar crazy city that they're doing, that is going to be having air taxi drones in it. Like I will tell you right now, we'll get that. That'll happen in like a couple of years or whatever. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that that happened. And it did, it will happen because like, what do you think like the future will be in that thing? You want those like quiet drones that can transport people easily without having to interfere on the ground, especially like, you know, you've got these gas cars, but you're going to now have these EV cars and you've got these planes and you have these helicopters and then you're going to have EV autonomous planes, helicopters, you know, seaplanes, who knows? Jetpacks would be cool. Like, I've I've been on a jetpack once in Key West, and it's pretty sick because it's just like water comes out the back, and you can just like control the like buttons. Rocketeer. Oh, yeah, like it's the like, water one. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty sick. But once again, it's a lot cooler if I could take that on land and not just in a canal. But I mean, I've definitely been looking into this. There's a ton of names, ton of tickers to be fly through, so it becomes crazy, right? Like everyone's talking about like all these different possible things that could be going into Evital or drones, like. We're going to be maybe pounding a name that we're talking about that might be working with Amazon. You know, we're going to talk about all those, but we have no idea because there's not enough news on those. And a lot of these have gone parabolic recently, which is why I will pound ZNTE with you because just the potential there alone is huge, right? Like, first of all, management check, right? You've got Kenneth Ritchie, director of aviation capital. You've got a bunch of guys here that are just killers, right? So you've got Larry Flynn, Gulfstream Aerospace. You got this advisor, Ronald Sugar, former CEO and chairman of Northrop Grumman, chairman of Uber, director of Apple, Chevron, and Amgen. So if anyone's going to have ties into the Evital aerospace, you know, aviation, defense, whatever it may be, who knows, Space Force, maybe they'll take that public, <laughs> whatever that'll be, you know. But like this guy looks like, you know, this this team looks like they've got the chops for it. And of course, they are explicitly saying it that that's what they're targeting. So I'm a fan of the potential, you know, at $10, $11, this thing's barely even over NAV. I mean, the risk reward is ridiculous here. So I'll be pounding this one as like another SPAC as cash reserves play. But do I think it'll beat EH? Well, like it has to go to like 60 first. So maybe. I was just about to look up Larry Flynn to see if it was the same dude from uh, Hustler Magazine. And then I realized I was on my work computer. So probably not the best thing to look up. But uh, I don't know if that is the same Larry Flynn. I'm assuming probably not. But as we mentioned, you know, a lot of these are just the future, right? And that's how we invest is looking at where the ball is going to be going. So another company we wanted to highlight was AST slash Space Mobile. I had actually brought that one up to you a few weeks back. Obviously, we talk about thousands and thousands of different stocks always. And so thankfully, this one came back to surface because I had forgotten about it. The ticker symbol here is NPA, which stands for New Providence Acquisition Corp. So what we really love about Space Mobile, it can deliver broadband speed directly to your smartphone. So this differs, of course, from SpaceX Starlinks, which you need to have a user terminal for. Uh, Erdium's another company where you actually have to use a mobile satellite. What we're pounding the table on, this could literally go to your iPhone or literally go to your Android if you're out of the world like me, you know, I'm one of those <laughs> Android users. But uh, taking a quote directly from their CEO, I think this was really interesting, seeing if they had any partnerships with NASA 
Space Mobile has actually agreed to collaborate and share operational information regarding the respective space assets. And then following NASA's initial comments on the FCC application, NASA actually formally notified the FCC that it did not have any pending objection to their application. So this thing looks like it's in motion. Yeah. So, I mean, SpaceX is a company that I wanted to get in private so badly. I was pounding the table on this and I'll, I'll dig up that blog article too. And it was like a one or $2 billion valuation. And I was like on Reddit trying to figure out ways to invest in this thing. Like just like Jewel at 600 million, which is went to 42 billion. So I'll be enjoying the VC game in a while, but pretty much I'll be the reason I like this is because I can't buy Starlink. So if this thing makes you not have to have a user terminal, like it cuts out all that middleman inefficiency, I'll pound the table on it. And also the reason why we're pounding the table on all these names is because that news for ARC is huge, right? Like imagine being like, oh, like, you know, genomics is going to be huge. Kathy starting ARC G. And like, let's say that she was doing that today. What would you do? You would find the best genomics companies all around. You'd find the picks and shovels and you'd pound the table and you'd load the boat because you have a brain. That is the thing we're doing here because that's what's going to happen in the future. There's no way that Kathy ARC starting ARC X is not going to make space be the Arc G runner of 2020 whenever that comes public. So that's to me, that's why we're screaming the table on this. I know this is the next sector, right? So it's going to be you got the space now, but you had genomics and you're going to have like this quantum computing is going to be huge. We'll, we'll talk about that whenever Kathy does a quantum computing crazy fun like that, because I will pound the table on that. I'll tell you right now in advance. But Avi, the cool thing about this is designed to eliminate coverage gaps and enable billions of people to stay globally connected through their mobile phones. So there's like 5 billion phones moving in and out of coverage all the time. 51% of the population doesn't have access to mobile broadband. And you would think that a company like this would have an insane valuation, like to the moon, actually. See what I did there? Like 50 Mm -hmm. to 100 times or whatever. But it's only going to be implied uh, valuation 1.4 times 2024 earnings. So their EBITDA that year, they're make over, they're make 1.014 billion dollars. And I got some crazy numbers for you too, because that total revenue that year is going to be 1.07 billion dollars. So they're saying we're going to get you 90% plus margins. Tell me you don't want to pound the table. I don't know what you're reading because you're probably buying like Goldman Sachs or JC Penney's bankrupt. Uh, So this is the first and only space-based cellular broadband network that's going to give you coverage everywhere, compatible with all existing 5 billion phones, broadband data speeds that have high rates with low latency, cellular quality service levels, and connects the unconnected by being affordable for all, including the rural and the underserved. So this is like a very, very stretchy pound the table Nanox version. You're giving coverage to people who can't get it. Nanox will be giving medical imaging access to people who can't get it now. How do you not pound the table on a thing that's going to completely upset the total addressable market by like two or three times? No brainer. They got these strategic investors, of course, Vodafone, Rakuten, American Tower, and Samsung next. So if you want to bet against those investors and they're fine, but you're probably going to end up having to cut your cords like Comcast. And then they'll turn into Roku and we see what happens with companies that innovate, Tony. They actually have customers already too, which is super cool. They're working with Vodafone, Rakuten, uh, Telecom. So there's 3.3 billion people who are covered in this world, but not connected to the cellular broadband. There's another 700 million people that are not even covered at all. So what I think the coolest part about this tech is it's really going to allow everyone to get involved and communicate with family and friends throughout the world and in space. (laughs) You know, there's zero terminal costs to the end user. The cost for the company to at least access to phase one, which is going to be 20 satellites, is only $510 million for that company, which brings them to that billion dollar in revenue. 
And the additional cost for additional phases is going to be $1.7 billion, which will bring them to 188 satellites versus the many thousands that other companies need to do. And so this truly is a very cheap valuation. It's only $1.4 billion right now. And one thing you really wanted us to mention here is that the fact that there's not really much competition. Obviously, there's Starlink and some of the other companies we discussed, but you said there's enough pieces of the pie here. Yeah, so I'm over here looking at the 750 plus patent claims that provide this technological barrier to entry. And they have these ultra powerful satellites and that's 2G, 3G, 4G, LTE, 5G, NBIOT connectable. So you don't have to modify your mobile phones or your IoT devices. They got the first mover advantage of a new technology solution and a superior system of architecture. They get these binding, mutually exclusive commercial agreements with large global wireless companies. And this phase one that we're talking about, I think people just need to really conceptualize how freaking small and easy it is for them at this point to do this. Phase one is going to provide coverage for 1.6 billion people. So that's already 20% of the pie. And that's only 20 satellites. So 1% of all people is going to be done by one satellite. That's the getting the most people on the equatorial constellation. So that's deployed in 2022 and looking to get to 336 satellites by 2028. But just in 2024, things should work out. As you said, Avi, they'll be doing that $1.07 billion in revenue in 2024. So like, if you just think about how much this thing's going to grow, that, why is this not worth $10, $20 billion in the next couple of years? So I think this has got to be like a 10 or 20 bagger status easily, because if you're going to do $1.07 billion in rev in 2024, and you're going to do $1.01 billion in profit that year, you are crushing. Like that's, yeah, tell me another company with those kind of margins. It's it's actually completely just the initial upfront cost, which is less than $2 billion, which they're going to get funded from the SPAC, of course, which is why we're talking about SPACs, because people don't realize, like, we don't have to believe in companies. That great founder can believe in them first of so that SPAC, and then they're already moving. We just got to jump on the train. So I'm pounding the table on this one. I'm pounding the table on all this entire sector. I mean, this is genomics 2.0. Just wait for quantum computing. Yeah, this is crazy. All of this talk about EVs, EVTOLs just makes me start to think about BlackBerry. And going back to episode 14, when we had Howard Lindzen on, when you miss a pick or we don't share it, you got to be smacking your forehead here. Because literally Greg Scott, so at Zen Options on Twitter, was pounding the table over and over again for me to look into BlackBerry. I looked into it. I absolutely loved it. I loaded the boat. I couldn't get Tony to pound and do that double pound, but he finally came around, of course, when it came to EH and thinking, hey, maybe this operating system, this security could ultimately go into these EVITALs as well. And so we'll be talking about this, of course, next week, but I got to give it an insta pound. We saw what BlackBerry did last week. This one's going to be great for the next five years. So a little pre-pound there. We're going to be doing a huge deep dive into BlackBerry next episode, but got to give that one a pre-pound because what happened last week i think it may come down a little bit have a little bit more retracement but this thing i'm pounding for the next five years blackberry is gonna yeah. be incredible yeah yeah Avi, i gotta give it to you for that one man because like i was just like obviously shut up don't look don't, why are you talking to me about blackberry but you're it is up almost 100 percent since you pounded so shout out to you and of course at zen options greg scott killer on Twitter. but you know that's a good that's a good play i think i mean i feel like Maybe it's not going to be that 100 bagger, but do I think you're going to make money? You already did. So good job, Avi. Like it's hard for me to pound something that I know has been crap for so many years, but things change, right? Like you've seen companies go from the, the sky down to the earth and then back up to the moon. So, you know, it's always possible, but it's just a harder thing to call. It's harder to call a turnaround story than a boy, like origination, you know, born trilogy story. So it's a lot easier for me to find those. Maybe Blackberry does become that five or 10 bagger. Yeah, I have no idea. I've seen it happen. So who knows? Like, but you know, with that being said, Avi, we can talk about it. We can pound it. I'm definitely like allowing the pound to happen. 
am I going to get it in myself? Maybe I got to dive in deeper myself. Maybe if you show me next week that your, your research and your pound is, is like as good as I want it to be, then you'll get me in it, but you got to get me in it. But mm. what I will have to get back at you for is for telling me not to pound light speed when it's already almost tripled. <laughs> and there's like, just, it's like, we have a list of these names that we both are like, ah, do we pound? Do we not pound? So it's like, we might have to do a little segment called to pound or to not pound. That's the question. Cause it is, we got all these hundreds of names and like you let these double triple baggers just slide through the cracks. Cause there's ones that look better and, you know, you never know which one's going to rip at the time, but we do our best to bring those to you. So we'll, we'll see if this one can get brought out. All right. Fair enough, Tony. I've definitely cut you off from some stocks and sure enough, they just explode. So maybe we just start saying every stock on our mind because clearly they've been uh, ripping here. But Tony, we got to stay true to the pounders. In the beginning of every single episode, we say we talk about stocks, the art of options trading. I haven't heard a lot about the art of options trading and we've gotten DMs. People want to know your tricks of why you're getting such high percentages. It's not just trading stocks, you told me. You do, of course, incorporate options trading. So let's jump into a few of the questions that we got in our DMs. First one coming from John Lucy at JFLUSI on Twitter said, general question for Anthony, you stated in the past that you've worked in options for about five years before getting involved with stocks. Isn't it usually the other way around with one starting with stocks before graduating to a more sophisticated options play? Tony, I know you're in 4D, but why don't you answer John here? Yeah, so it's not about where you start. It's about where you end up. And I'll tell you right now, I was not expecting, right? I didn't know what I was getting into. Like, I always was just messing around with these, like, penny stocks. I remember playing, like, penny weed stocks for fun. And then I, like, I was, you know, going to cross-country practice one day. My, like, one of my favorite people in the entire universe, Terrence White, who literally taught me options. He's like, this is what an option is. I did not know what it was before. And then I did like a first options trade and I made like five grand and I was like, wow, I am hooked. Like Avi said with his story, like everyone who starts right away, like you're hooked if you have a good trade. So I naturally saw like, I think the first contract I've ever seen was Twitter when they IPO'd and they like finally got options available. And I was seeing like, man, this went up like a 1500% in a day. This is absurd. And then of course I was hooked. And, and then I you know, found smarter traders taught me everything I need to know about options in the world. Like the most knowledgeable options person I've ever met. So yeah, I mean, like I get it. You you really are supposed to start in stocks, but it's pretty much like learning linear algebra before you learn like addition. So it makes it a lot easier to pick stocks and trade stocks. Like I actually think I can trade stocks with my eyes closed because of options. And that's taken me so many years because I started and I lost money with options for so, so long. But in order to play options, you need to learn about the underlying, which are the stocks that we buy and sell normally. And so in order to get good at options, which is what I worked for four or five years to do, and I'm telling you, it was not easy. I did it every year, lost money, made money, lost more money. And five or six years later, here I am now doing stocks because I've learned so much with options. I see that there's benefits in having both in your portfolio, but for the rest of my life, I'm going to be a trader at heart. That's where I started, right? Like That's in my bones. And, and I think part of the reason, obviously, we don't talk about options so much is, you know, we're doing this podcast once a week. Definitely would be too complicated and hard to, you know, get in and out of the weekly options. But, you know, Jack asked this question at Orange Nike 17 saying, hey, you have the Pounders thesis pick for stocks every single week. How about having an options thesis pick for leaps potentially? Yeah, I love that idea. And like, honestly, such a, it's such a great idea because, you know, I think people are starting to become more and more comfortable with the concept of options. I think the more you spend in stocks, you'll absolutely start just hearing, you know, how are people ask like how are my gains so high it's not because i buy stocks like 
you can see right now that like the pounding the table since January 1st, you know, since the January 4th, the first day of trading is only up 12.5% for that entire portfolio. And like I'm up, up over 50%. And that's because I use leverage in particular ways through options and specifically leaps. Like I make a little bit of money on weekly options, but the thing with weekly options is I can't put huge size behind them. Like with leaps, I can take convicted positions. Like my biggest winner last year was those IWM and booking leaps. And which we talked about on the pod, you could have said that those are like leap thesis picks because those are actually like 30 or those are 17 baggers now from two to 35 on the IWM uh, 195s for January, 2022. Right. So it's not one of those, I'm going to lose it all, go to zero on Friday. It's a uh, you got two and a half years. Like, how good are your predictions for that long? And clearly, those are like, you know, almost up 20 times. That is the things I like to talk about. So, who knows? You know, maybe you got exactly what you wish for, especially the way that markets move and companies move now, you know, in today's day and age. Two years is a long time. So, if you have conviction over a stock, leaps could be helpful. But as, you know, John had mentioned on the previous question, it is definitely more complicated. You want to watch many YouTubes of how to play options how to find strike prices, et cetera, because if you don't know what you're doing, you can lose money very quickly. I am firsthand experience of that. I made $30,000 in two weeks, my first two weeks of trading. Next two weeks, lost all of it. So be very careful if you have no experience in options. Watch YouTubes, get started, and leaps are probably the safer play overall in general. Next question is coming from Stock Obsessed, and this is kind of options 301 territory, taking it to the next level because I didn't even know the answer to this. So he is asking, he or she is asking when to use spreads versus naked. So basically, Avi, a naked option is just a one directional single option at a single strike. So, you know, I think Apple, let's say Apple's 100, Apple at 105, I buy a 105 call. That is a naked call towards the upside, right? So I get unlimited upside. It's naked. Nothing's covering it. There's no spreads that limit my upside. And same with the downside for puts. Even if you're shorting a call, right? Like you're shorting that 105 call. So you're basically negative that position, right? So if it goes up, you lose money. If it stays the same, it goes down. You make money, that full credit. That is also a naked short. Don't naked short. Don't naked short. Don't naked short. Don't ever, ever, ever naked short options. I don't give a shit who you are. Don't do it. You're, I don't do it. And I'm one of the best options traders I know. Don't do it. Like that's the only way you can 100% blow up your account, do something stupid, I even people who do it successfully, I don't I like th there's some ways to do it that are OK. Right. But for me, it's never worth the risk reward. So don't ever short a naked call. I'm pounding the table on that. I don't even like I'm dead serious. So I'm very serious about that. But here's the cool thing about spreads is options do have a price. Right. So like it's like you take a bet, whatever. Right. So you take a, an outright bet. It's going to cost you like a little bit more than if you take a bet with a couple of contingencies. Right. So like, I don't know, you know, Avi, I'm glad I haven't really learned more about sports betting, but I'm sure they have stuff like that. Right. Like is a parlay a lot cheaper than a straight bet? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Oh, that, that's so, how I got into it, too, is, is, right. is sports betting and options. It kind of acts as a parlay in the sense that you have to put up less money up front. Right. With, bigger reward later on but of course there's risks there as well yeah there's always risk and the cool thing about spreads is you actually do spend a little bit less money of course your gains are usually capped towards the upside and the downside of course because you're usually either doing credit spreads which is when you're shorting a combination of options so let's say apple's at 100 and i don't think it's going to go over 105 but if it does rip i don't want to be an idiot and short a call or short a put you should never short options outright don't ever short naked calls i'm going to say it 10 times in case someone thinks they're smart and wants to do it 
they will get wrecked. I just the one t- here's the thing: you can do it 99 times and it works, and the one time it doesn't work, you're bankrupt and living in a bridge. Like you don't want to do it. So the cool thing about spreads, though, is that it removes the fact of doing that nakedness. So you can short a 105 call and buy a 110 call on Apple, for example, right? So if it goes over 110, you lose a little bit of money, but it's not unlimited money. You're creating a spread, which is how much money you can make and how much money you can lose. So you can do that through credit or debit. Of course, if you put credit, that's the amount of money you'll get if that strategy works, right? So if Apple stays under 105, you get the full credit there, plus you cap your upside losses in case it keeps ripping. And the same thing is if you want to be long that stock, right? So you can buy the 105 call spread and short the 110. So instead of paying three bucks for the 105 by itself, you pay $1.50 for the 105 110 spread, and then you can take $1.50 to five bucks. So instead of, you know, right there, you're already over a triple by the time it's at 110 versus if you just had the 105, you paid three, so you'd barely even be at a double. So that's the benefit of spreads. And though that actually works a lot of the time, I know there's another question on here about earnings and stuff. I love doing spreads for earnings because I think I can pick the direction a company is going to go. Some companies, a lot of them are random, of course, on their earnings reports, but some companies do have pretty clear direction. Like, you know, a couple earnings ago, I knew Zoom was going to explode, right? There's no way Zoom wasn't going to rip. That was when it was 300 or whatever. And the earnings options were like, like nine, 10% premium. That is absurd for me. Like it has to go so, it has to go 30, 20, 30% for you to double or triple your money. Or you could just, you know, if Zoom's at 330, you could buy a 340 to 350 spread. It's going to cost you like three to four dollars because the high, high premiums cancel each other out. And it just basically acts as like a little spread bed in between. Right. So if it goes to 400, 500, a million, whatever your price, your, their profits the same, but you don't have to pay $20 for a contract. You could pay three or four and still make that double, triple. And in fact, by the time the outright call even gets to a double or triple, you already have your double or triple. You can just completely sell both lots at once, get your max gain, walk away, do another spread with those profits. So I'm pounding the table on spreads. If I do weeklies, I really, really often do spreads. And when I do leaps, I do nakeds because I want things to be able to compound with time. So you said not to do nakeds, but then you said if you do leaps, you do nakeds. Can you? No, I said never short. Yeah, never short a call and never short a put. Never short naked options. Don't do it. Don't ever do it. I will never, ever tell you it's a good idea. I strongly, vehemently, it's the only thing in the markets I disgustingly oppose. All right, Tony. So I'm going to have to put never shorting naked calls or never shorting naked puts as the desktop background on my computer to make sure it's loud and clear for me. But uh, we have a few other questions here. James Carter is asking, hey, I'm curious how you pick your strike price. So yeah, Avi, obviously like, you know, people ask how my gains get so high because I use leverage really, really well. And that's like my, that's just the bread and butter, everything I do. But of course I've got these like secret sauces that I'm never, ever going to talk about, but I'll talk about as much as I possibly can. of course, you know, so can we uh, like come kidnap you, put you in a basement, lock you up and get those answers or what's the deal? I, yeah, yeah, you can try. I don't have 32 teeth. I have 31 teeth and a cyanide pill. So you can try your best. Awesome. So we got another question here, uh, you know, from James Carter asking, you know, how do you pick your strike price? Right. So yeah, this is, you know, alluding to the fact of I can't say everything, but here's what I can tell you. I think a lot of people don't understand that if you buy further out options that are cheaper, you actually can get really great returns. Like my mom does some insane stuff. Like she's always buying these five, 10, and she tells you, Avi, it's hilarious. She buys these like mm-hmm. five, 10, 15 cent options. She's like, oh my gosh, it's 2000%. Because options work with leverage and time and movement. So 
there's a, I think people try to buy a lot of expensive options. And like, I try to risk as little as I can to make as much as much as I can, like, unless I'm long term investing in that option, right, I can buy that like ad or in the money or whatever. But if I'm like loaned for a directional bet on a strike price, I like to add time always. So like, let's say that I think something's setting up really well, I'll usually buy a little bit out of the money call. And if I don't know when it's going to move, I might add a week and then make that a spread, you know, hopefully I can do you know, something that's like, let's say uh, Etsy's at like 150 or whatever, just for mental sakes. If I want to buy the, like, I think it's going to go up, I'll buy the 155, 165 spread. And as that becomes more and more in the money and it gets further or closer and closer to Friday, that spread's going to get closer and closer to max value. And then I can just roll that spread from a 155 to 165 into a 165, 175 spread and keep that going. And maybe I'll even like let the cap go higher and higher, put a little more in because I think it's going to really rip. But for me, I always try to think, hey, where's the stock been? Where can the stock go? Right? Like, I don't think that I'm going to buy, you know, let's give an example. Like if uh, Etsy's at 150, I'm not buying the 200 calls. Like I'm buying it in a likely scenario. And those closer options cost more, which is why I always try to start with spreads for shorter term options. And then I like to dabble on buying leaps at the same time. So if I think it's a great setup. I'll start adding money into leaps because what will happen is my weeklies will gain profits if I get the setup right. And then the leaps won't go up too much. So then I'll take the spread profits, throw it into leaps. And then I've got a long-term big position that's finally got confirmation on a bounce. So you try to risk as little as you can at first. And then you compound that into a big long-term equity position through those leaps. You know, maybe you can exercise those calls. Maybe you just want to take a five or 10 bagger over six, 12, 18 months. But that's the way that I pick my strike. Like, you know, I think Alibaba is going to do really, really well moving forward after all the bad news. And now it's going into EVs. So when it was the 221, 230s, you know, I was buying the 250s for March. Those were eight bucks. They're like 15, 16 now. And if it goes to 300, those $8 ones are going to go to 300. So I always try to buy in earnings if I'm doing leaps. I always want to make sure that I have one earnings date for sure included. And don't screw up with that because if you look at your broker, it might say estimated earnings, la la la. Don't trust your broker. They're all morons. Go on the website, go on the investor relations site, check out when the company said it. Because even if you go to NASDAQ, even if you go to whatever it is, it's not always accurate. You need to read the investor relations page. When I'm doing leaps, I want to make sure I have one earnings date because it'll hold that premium. It's got that implied volatility that you know when that earnings announcement comes, it's going to have a big move up or down. So that premium will hold. It's kind of cool because it gives you the ability to like almost think of it as equity. Because it's like it's got that time premium. You can always sell it before the earnings happen. Because as soon as the earnings happen, if it's flat, those premiums will collapse. So, mm-hmm. like for instance, like those Baba two fifties, they've got earnings. I got them for March, so those are eight dollars for March. They're fifteen now. If it goes to three hundreds prior to earnings, those will be worth at least fifty bucks, right? So that's going to be a six bagger on options. And I only put like one or two percent in leaves, but you really only need to put, and you need to do it a few times, like. I'll do like three to five different leap positions, one to 3% each, depending on that. And then the meantime, I'm just doing these little weekly spreads or like if I see a great lotto or something, I'll just do nakeds right there. But that's how I pick my strikes. My head is spinning right now. So I'm with John where, you know, options trading is definitely graduating. So if you're anything like me and completely confused, definitely check out some YouTubes to visualize it and start to understand options because there are a lot of risks. And one of the questions that came up from Stephen Edward is, what is a reasonable drawdown, Tony, with options and when to go risk off or even hedge? 
Yeah. So here's the thing. If you're playing options and you, you just need to know that they can all go to zero. Like people say, oh, what's a reasonable drawdown? Am I going to sell when it's down 40, 50%? I've seen an option go from 20 to one to hundred. So like do what you want with that information. Like I love like a smarter trader strategy of like only put in what you can afford to lose. Like I will pound the table on that methodology because if you put your entire account in options, right? I'm talking like directional bets. I'm not talking like hedged in the money option. I'm talking about like you are risking money. Those will all go to zero. Of course, you can always hedge things. There's a way to cap your max loss. First of all, if you're trading in an account, you don't put 100% in options unless you are absolutely eloquent with pandeloquence in options. Like that is the only way that you're going to be able to do that and not come out completely battered and bruises. But what I will say is that options could honestly be looked at as a great way to hedge. I know a lot of people like to short stocks. I think shorting stocks is stupid. I think you get a lot more leverage with a lot less risk because on average, right, the market goes up 8% a year. You want to short the best companies out there because they're high valuations. All right, well, 2015 me said that the high valuations and like high PEs are the thing to stay and they're going to get worse and they are and they will continue to between now and 2024. So what I'm telling you is the best way to short is to take directional puts. So I do like the question, right? But just know that anything that you're betting on in options is just consider it zero. Leaps are a little different. I mean, those don't just go to zero in a week or two, right? You have time for those to go to zero. But if you're playing calls and the market crashes 20%, you are shit out of luck. Those are zero regardless. But if you had puts there, those are like 100 baggers. So that's something to consider. It just gives you that little leverage. So I think it's a huge thing to consider, but just know they can all go to zero. And I will definitely talk more about hedging strategies, but some of my favorite way to hedge, I think people try to like hedge in really creative ways, but you have to understand that cross correlation is really, really, really hard to capture right now, right? Like risk parity does not exist. I don't care who you are. It doesn't exist. So here's the thing you need to consider that. And so the like, if you're hedging, let's say you're really heavy in tech and you're hedging with Russell 2000 puts, you're not going to do well for yourself because the Russell can go up 5% on a day that the Nasdaq's red. You have to comprehend the cross correlation of your risk there. So I like to hedge my names with hedges on my own names. And mm -hmm. I sometimes hedge the general market if I think my names will do well and the market is selling off, right? Like last week, we had a lot of these tensions in COVID, but we had great interest rate news that Evans was like, yeah, we're not going to even think about raising for like two or three years, probably mid 2024. So I knew growth would rip. So I wasn't hedging my growth names. I was hedging other names that I thought would get sold off because of that. So there's a, mm -hmm. there's a, it's a lot of nuances to it, but I would recommend 100% going to YouTube, starting to study. This is something that you start off with a paper account. You don't want to just start throwing money into this yeah. because if you think you go on tilt at a poker or blackjack table, and we've all done it, trust me, I've gone mad tilt on blackjack and roulette and all that crap. Like I'm, I get in there. This is like the tilt on roids. This is tilt squared. So you will tilt mm -hmm. yourself into being negative. Don't do it. It's just the most addictive, risky leveraging thing. Don't do it without doing the research first. Like I will pound the table on being prepared for this. I think that's a great point. And to kind of wrap up the show here, you know, we have a lot of exciting things coming down the pipeline that are finally here. I know for episode after episode, we talked about getting this newsletter out. We are pounding the table that by Friday, that will be in your inboxes and you guys will have access to our Bible for 2021. Times are changing, folks. The world that you know it is not going to be the same in five or 10 years. And they're like, well, why are you guys talking about SPACs all the time? Tell me how many really actually real space companies are on the market. Tell me how many real genomics companies are on the markets. Like it's far less than you think there are. There's only so many places you can put money. So as these companies that are brand new, fresh, need to make their way to the public markets, 
what do you think they're going to use as their prime vehicle? There's a reason SPACs are exploding. You will have 50, 100 space companies come out of SPACs. You will have 50, 100 genomics companies come out of SPACs. And damn right, you will have 50 to 100 quantum computing companies come out of SPACs in the next few years. Man, nothing more than I like than coming out to the end of an episode and just thinking, how many tables am I going to break this week? Because honestly, there's some crazy opportunities happen. Do I think we're going to probably sell off a little bit? Yeah, we might retrace back to 3640 or so. That doesn't mean you're not going to get a thousand beautiful opportunities this year. I mean, just think about the last two weeks. You've had so many names go 50, 100 percent. And that's like, I think that's not going to stop. This environment is exactly what you want to press the throttle, but always keep your head on a swivel, stay cautious because you want to get that moonshot, baby. You want to be part of ArcX before it's ArcX. You want to be pounding the table before the table's fully done. So with that being said, pounders, keep your eyes open, head on a swivel, and don't forget, pound it. Drip on a hundred bits, say less than me. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah.